Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Even if you happened to have seen the inside of our little house, you may not have realized that one of the rarest art collections in the world hangs on its walls. It is the only collection in existence comprised entirely of pieces with backstories that include Ardell and me. One of my favorites hangs over the fireplace. It's a series of 60 photographs of Christ Church Little Rock taken by my friend Tim Hursley. And here's its backstory. For Christ Church's 175th anniversary, Tim agreed to set up an ordinary surveillance camera in front of the church and let it run. He'd done this before, once at the top of a grain separator and even more notably in a field in Hale County, Alabama, where for several years he harvested images of an old silo that had been bent in half by a storm. In Little Rock, we concocted a plan to affix a camera to one of those spreader bars that truckers use to secure their loads, and Tim's intrepid assistant dropped a rope from the roof of the Democrat, Arkansas Democrat Gazette building across the street and belayed down to a window where he mounted the contraption. He didn't actually need to belay, but it was more fun than a ladder. <laughs> a cable then ran back up to a laptop in a greasy elevator shaft, and for the next year, an image dropped onto the hard drive of that computer every 15 seconds. I'll help you with that math. That's more than two million photographs in the course of a year, less a few glitches with tech glitches. So the series above our mantle is from a night when the moon was full and appeared to roll right up the ridge of the church's roof and off into the night, while the red doors intermittently opened and closed as people passed by on the sidewalk or stepped outside to take a phone call on the steps as city buses blurred their way past. Ardell brought it from Tim for my 50th birthday. We picked it up from the framers just as we were packing up our house to move to Memphis, and it was among the first things we unwrapped and hung proudly on the wall when we got here. Now, before you'll see the obvious relevance of this story to yet another eye-crossing parable from the Gospel of Luke, I need to tell you something else about Tim. He also happens to be one of the foremost architectural photographers in the country. He's photographed buildings by the likes of Frank Gehry and James Turrell and Philip Johnson and Moshe Safdi. He even photographed a series for Andy Warhol in his factory back in the day. But for this kind of work, as you might have guessed, Tim doesn't use a camera you could pick up at Best Buy. He photographs with a large format Sinar 4x5, it's called, which means to you and me that every shot is expensive, as in several dollars each just for the film. It's expensive, so a large format photographer doesn't click away like some giddy grandpa with an iPhone at a t-ball game. Every shot should be carefully set up, the light and angle and subject well considered before any film is exposed. Tim will fly across an ocean to shoot in a 15-minute window each day when the conditions are just so. So in contrast to all the intention and control that makes every shot of a great building count, at the church in Little Rock, 
The images just poured in and onto the hard drives Tim would take back to his cluttered studio to scan through for gems, like that night when the moon was full, which he happened to compare to having a slot machine dump quarters into his lap. Which, of course, brings us to Jesus, right? (laughs) The guy who says, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. See the connection? Okay, we'll go on a little longer with the sermon then. We've been rolling on through the Gospel of Luke here lately, haven't we? And Jesus is, we used to think of it as that sweet telling of the good news that Linus turned to and that famous nativity play pinch. But Jesus says some weird stuff in here. Like, who among you would say to your slave, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you may eat and drink. Do you you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. So much for egalitarian Jesus. So much for Jesus the hierarchy buster. What in the world are we to make of sayings like these? Well, what I'd like us to think about today is what it might mean to actually admit that we aren't as free as we think we are, and that acknowledging this truth might actually change how we live. Now, I don't want to dismiss Jesus' unsettling image of slave-owning Christians too quickly, but since the punchline is about being slaves rather than owning them and ordering them around, It hardly seems like Jesus' point was to condone owning other people and treating them badly just because you can. What I think he's asking us to do is to see ourselves as people without many rights or choices and as people with so many obligations that we may never manage to do a single good deed that we can take credit for. That sounds like bad news, not gospel. But what if we reframe things in terms of the two kinds of Tim Hursley projects? So often we see our lives, and especially our Christian lives, as kind of architectural photography projects, if you will. We can think our task is to frame every moment, every action, every thought carefully and faithfully so that it brings us a little closer to God, a little closer to goodness, a little closer to a life well lived, maybe even the salvation of our souls. But let's face it, whatever decisions we do get to make in this life have been conditioned by a whole lot that we have no control over whatsoever. Parents, culture, biology, neighborhood, weather, maybe what we had for lunch. All kinds of experiences and accidents brought each of us to this particular moment. And while I do think we have some choice in how we move into the next moment, Our tendency is to think we're a lot more in control than we probably are, don't you think? Our tendency is to downplay all those other factors, good, bad, or indifferent, that have made us into the person who's about to decide to do the next thing. Now, this can be a hard truth to swallow for those of us who happen to live in the so-called land of the free, right? Then again, living when and where we do Make, make us people who especially need this strange, uncensored Jesus who tells us bluntly that on some level, 
we are all of us worthless slaves. That we should get out of the business of taking credit for our lives and our goodness because, let's face it, we're mostly just playing the hands we've been dealt. I know, I know. That still might sound like bad news to you, but consider this. Instead of seeing life essentially as something we get to plan and frame and craft and produce, what happens to us when we learn to take less credit? What happens when we see life as something that mostly spills into our laps, like images from that jury-rigged surveillance camera onto a hard drive? Well, one thing probably happens immediately. We probably get a little less smug. We're bound to be a little less likely to separate ourselves from someone whose life is, whose life is given a harder time. Maybe we're a little less judgmental too, don't you think? But we're also potentially a little more giddy and thankful for whatever good God has dumped onto us so gratuitously. We're a little more like Tim in his studio, sifting through the million little gifts that that curious mix of light and moon and an old church building produced. There's something to be said for feeling more lucky than good. There's something to be said for living in the wake of grace. It's just another way of saying that we're maybe at our best when we see the essence of ourselves, not as people who have earned and secured for ourselves what matters most in this life, but that a divine gift lies at the center of our lives. We are worthless slaves, not because we're empty of worth, but because we're not the ones who make ourselves worthy. Grace is a gift to each of us by a loving and indiscriminate God. So why in the world do we spend so much time sorting out who's worth what in this life, especially in the church of Jesus? It's pretty late in this sermon to go back to the part of the gospel reading that would actually have been a lot more edifying to deal with, but let's do that. Remember that bit about a mustard seed of faith being enough to make a mulberry tree walk off into the sea? Well, maybe it's only when we've acknowledged that most of who we are has been shaped by forces beyond our control, forces we have no business taking credit for. Maybe it's only then that we're actually ready to consider the power of faith. Because faith, you see, isn't a great personal accomplishment either. It's a mustard seed, a tiny thing that's hardly visible, barely noticed. But that faith, as Jesus describes it, is a small break in the necessity of things. Faith seems to be a kind of access to that slight infusion of grace and possibility that we are foolish to be proud of and take credit for. But even a grain of it can breed hope and make an opening to a future that's not entirely determined by our past. Maybe mulberry trees don't have to stay put. Maybe another future is possible on the other side of wounds and failures we didn't think we could survive. Maybe, says faith. Maybe. We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. I don't think you'll find that mantra in any self-help books. But if the church can be a community of honest humility and a big thankfulness to God about how we got to be whoever we are, and a community that nurtures the hope that even a tiny seed of faith can create, 
Lives will change. And guess what? All we need to be to embody that community are worthless slaves. You don't have to have gotten yourself together. You don't have to have been born on the right side of the streets or the, with, with the right name. You don't have to be smart enough or good enough or have a bucket load of faith down in your heart. Jesus says that to be his people, we don't have to have made something else of our lives. We just have to be people, and whoever you are, you are one whom life has made something of. Because nurturing that tiny seed of faith in worthless slaves like us, it seems, has been Jesus' project all along. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.